The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the global business radio show for entrepreneurs. We really do go out right across the world every Tuesday night here in Los Angeles. So if you're listening for the first time, this is the radio program where we tell it exactly the way it is. And we do everything that we can do to assist entrepreneurs by bringing the latest information every week on what's happening everywhere in business throughout the world. And we're proud of the fact that we're the number one radio show globally for entrepreneurs. And we thank all of you that listen every week for making that the case. Now, as we all know, technological change is happening extremely quickly. And the American public anticipates that the next 50 years will see very profound scientific change. You know, we're starting to see that... um, Inventions that we once regarded as just the fair of science fiction movies are now becoming commonplace. So the Pew Research Center asked Americans about a whole range of potential scientific developments from robotics to bioengineering to futuristic possibilities like um, teleportation, space colonization, things that do seem a little bit out there. Now, most Americans anticipate that these technological developments will have a net positive impact on society, with 59% being optimistic and 30% believing that we will all be worse off because of these changes. So 60% optimistic, that's not bad. If you get 60% on anything these days, you're doing all right. 81% of people expect that within the next 50 years, People needing new organs will have them custom grown in a lab. Now, I think that's a pretty safe bet. On the other hand, they also see limits to what science can achieve. Only 40% think that scientists will have developed the technology to teleport objects. I must admit I'm one of those. And uh, only 33% expect that humans will have colonized planets other than Earth despite Elon Musk's determination to colonise Mars. And 19% expect that humans will be able to outsmart Mother Nature and will be able to control the weather in the foreseeable future. Well, I'm with the 80% that think that Mother Nature will win. 
The study shows that there are widespread concerns about some, I guess, controversial technological developments that might occur in the shorter term. 66% of people, and I'm one of them, disapprove of prospective parents altering the DNA of their children, whether it be to produce smarter or healthier or more athletic kids. 65% disapprove of life-like robots becoming the primary caregivers for the elderly and people in poor health. Well, I'm not one of those. I think that um, robots and the experience in Japan has shown that robots are fantastic for um, being caregivers for the elderly. And as they um, as they develop robots to be more communicative and have more empathy, and I think they'll be um, a great assistance to our healthcare. And sixty three percent of people disapprove of personal and commercial drones flying through U.S. airspace. Well, all I can say to them is get used to it, because I am very confident that drones are going to be used extensively for delivering packages, delivering all sorts of things. And uh, I don't see any problem with it. Now, what did surprise me, though, was that 53% of people disapprove of implants or other devices that constantly show them information about the world around them. Now, women are especially wary of these devices. So that makes wearables, gives wearables a bit of a problem, doesn't it, when 53% of people are a guinea before you start. But I think um, maybe not wearables as we know them at the moment with um, Google Glass, etc. but I think um, contact lenses that feed you information, etc. are very likely to happen. Now, people are also really divided on whether or not they'd like to ride in a driverless car. 48% of people say they'd be interested, but 50% of people say they're not the least bit interested in driverless cars. Why wouldn't you want to sit in the back and read the paper while your car takes you to where you want to go rather than be driving and get all the stress? Jeez, I'm for, I'm for driverless cars. And only 36% of people who live in rural areas support driverless cars. Well, I guess they don't have any stress. They drive down all those deserted roads and doesn't make much difference whether you're driving or not, I don't suppose. Um, only 26% of Americans say they'd have a brain implant to improve their memory or the mental capacity. And I find that surprising. Um, spoke to a, a, was listening, sorry, to a, um, a presentation a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about um, recharging the brain as you get older from and you suffer from Alzheimer's or whatever, um, that um, they just can reboot your brain. Works for me. Um, yet 37% of college graduates would be willing to get a performance-enhancing brain implant if they had a chance. So, And it seems with all of these studies, uh, Findings: The more educated people are, the more likely they are to approve of um, robots, of drones, of implants, of driverless cars, of um, 
growing um, organs in the lab, etc. So now when asked what futuristic inventions people would like to own personally, there were three common themes. One, travel improvements like flying cars and bikes. Now that's one I don't get. They want travel improvements like flying cars and bikes, yet they don't want a self-driving car or drones. Okay. They want time travel. Time travel would be pretty cool, I must admit. And they want health improvements that extend human longevity or that cure major diseases. But they don't want health improvements that simply bring back your memory or make you smarter. I don't understand that either. Now, demographically, the technological optimists, they're more likely to be men, which does surprise me, and much more likely to be college graduates. In fact, you know, men with a college degree have an especially sunny outlook. 80% of this group expects that technology will have a positive effect on life in the future, and only 14% expect that impact to be negative. Now, 8 in 10 Americans think that organ transplants will be a reality with new organs custom made in the lab. Now, that's got to be a good thing. Um, 86% of men, 86% of those under 50, and 85% of college graduates are all for it. So the negative side's coming from older people people who don't have a college education and women. <laughs> the public's got less confidence that uh, teleportation and colonisation of other planets will happen. Um, 33% though do expect us to have long-term colonies on other planets and uh, 43% of young adults, people under 25, do think space colonisation will be an eventuality. So, but we know that um, things like teleportation or space colonisation is going to require massive leaps in scientific knowledge before they come a reality. But the widespread adoption of other futuristic developments is already happening. You know, wearables, Google Glass, smartwatches. I was reading this morning about a batch of new smartwatches that are coming out. Um, or predicted to come out because nobody's quite sure what any of them look like. And one, they're pretty cool. They do a whole bunch of cool stuff. But secondly, they're starting to look good. You know, my complaint, as you know, if you listen to this program, has been that wearables look clunky and awful. But some of the new ones, mm, they look pretty cool. And, uh, of course, drones, whether drones happen or not, is going to be decided by the regulatory bodies, and uh, as we know, politicians bow to what people, the public thinks, so it's highly likely, I would think, that um, they'll happen, but uh, there'll be some obstacles along the way. Now, of the four potential developments studied, public attitudes towards wearable and implanted computing devices are the most popular, which with... 40-something percent thinking it will be good and 53% thinking it will be a bad thing if people are constantly given information 
by external means. But that's no different than walking around with your computer in your hand, surely. Um, men and women have pretty similar attitudes to most of these societal changes, but diverse substantially in their attitudes to wear, towards wearable or implantable computer devices. Men think it's a good thing. Well, nearly 50% of men think it's a good thing, where only 29% of women do. And uh, as I mentioned before, countries such as Japan are already experimenting very successfully with robot caregivers because they've got a very rapidly aging population. But 65% of Americans are against it. And that's right across the board. doesn't matter whether they're young, middle-aged or old or whether they um, are educated or not educated or whether they're men and women. They are against it. Well, I think it would be a great move. Most new inventions, I guess, appeal at first to a fairly small group of early adopters, but um, and then the bulk of consumers follow sometimes later, sometime later, only after they've had a chance to look and see that they don't screw up. Um, so, while there's some pronounced scepticism towards much of the technology that's likely to um, be in use in the next 50 years, maybe the rest of the public will come around. Now, only 20% of people will eat food that is grown in a lab, um, men being twice as willing as women and college graduates, and three times more likely than those who have not attended college. I must admit I'm not that keen on eating a steak that's been grown in a lab, but who knows? So based on their responses, Americans are looking forward to a future in which getting from place to place is easier, more comfortable, and more adventuresome than it is today. Now, speaking of technological advances... The Fine Brothers, Benny and Rafi, have a wildly successful YouTube channel, as you probably know, and a lot of their videos are hysterical. But they recently had a video where they gave young kids a Walkman. Some of them thought it was a phone. Then they realise it's not, but they have no idea what it is or how it works. You know, none of them could work out how it works. And one of the kids said... I suppose if you want to hear a song, you just have to press fast forward and just guess. These things are so hard. Boy, how things have changed in the last few years. I think that's probably pretty true, actually. I remember taking my son to the Smithsonian and he saw an old rotary dial phone and it took him quite a while to work out what the hell it was and how the hell to use it. Um, Matthias Duarte is the director of Android Operating System User Experience at Google, believes that since smartphones are the next are the, now the norm, it's time for developers to, and designers to focus on what next. And that's getting to the point where there's a single interface that can seamlessly be used across screens of different sizes. doesn't matter whether you're wearing, using a 10-inch tablet, a 2-inch smartwatch, or a 13-inch laptop. And rumours have it that Google may redesign Gmail and its other popular apps so they look exactly the same across all platforms. And to me, that makes perfect sense. 
Now, this program is all about entrepreneurs, and we salute you whether you've just opened a dry cleaners or whether you've developed a new app. We don't care if you're 14 or 114. If you're an entrepreneur and you have enough guts to get out there and give it a go, we here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show are a big fan, and we will do anything that we can to assist you. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. The whole reason we're here is to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll answer it on air or we'll email you directly. After the break, I'm going to be talking to a fantastic lady, Liesl Kappa, CEO of My Cyber Twin and the Innovation and Information Industry Association ICT Woman of the Year. Now, Liesl allows companies to make a software clone of their best customer service representatives. The result is a virtual human. This will really surprise you. And uh, I love this interview. And this girl's, this girl's a great girl, very smart. She's up in um, Silicon Valley, of course. And we'll be talking with her in just a moment. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. And I'll be back with Liesl in just a moment. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, no bullshit radio show, where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most extraordinary people. What makes them tick? Most extraordinary people that I've ever met began life, in average, pretty ordinary circumstances, just like most of us. What makes them interesting, unusual, and great? Well, this is the segment where we find out. Liesl Kappa is CEO of My Cyber Twin and the Innovation and Information Industries Association's ICT Woman of the year. Her latest venture, My Cyber Twin, allows companies to make a software clone of their best customer service representatives. The result 
is a virtual human which lives on a website or any online environment and replaces contact centre staff. They're intelligent, consistent, friendly and every aspect of the conversations with clients can be measured and tracked. My Cyber Twin has a growing stable of major international clients. Liesl has over 15 years international experience managing growth businesses. She is founder and CEO of Muta, a stock exchange listed company specializing in search and behavioral targeting. She raised millions in venture capital, created patents and defensible technology, managed the global expansion, secured deals with major clients including Yahoo and prepared the company for listing. This is one smart chick. And not only that, she's lovely. Liesl's won a plethora of awards, <laughs> has three technology patents to a name, two in search and one in artificial intelligence robots. The lady is an absolute superstar. She's a gem. And I'm very pleased to welcome Liesl to the program. Hi, kid. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hey, Bob. Great to talk to you. Um, you're back in Australia for a week before moving to the US. That's a big move. That's right. Yeah, you've, you've spent so much time here anyway, haven't you? Because you've got a whole bunch of things happening here. I, I have. We actually generate more revenue in the States than here. And also, I think the really big thing for me is our industry is just on the sort of bottom of one of those big fat exponential curves. You know, I could feel it in my bones, like when I was in search engines 10 years ago. You know, you, the, the, this uptick is coming, and, and um, for us, Apple Siri has just kicked it over. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's some major stuff happening in our lives and in our company, and I'm just spending too much time on the plane getting to the States. So I'm hauling myself over there. We've got some big deals going down, and I'm um, having, a, having a ball, having Great. a blast. You'll love it. I've been here for 25 years, and... Uh I love it here. People are so positive. The opportunities are so great. And um, if you're prepared to put in the yards, there's absolutely no reason here why you, sh why you should fail. Um, you've studied millions of chats between humans and machines or, you know, artificial intelligence like Siri. What surprised you? Oh, Bob, I'm, I'm actually a human scientist by original training. I have a degree in psychology, and um, I really expected that the biggest thing for me is I really expected us to have quite a lot of distance with artificial humans. I expected about sort of 60, 70% of the population to go, human here, AI, I'm going to call them AIs for artificial intelligence there. Yep. And I think the, the biggest surprise for me, that the, the first big one when we started going to particularly customer support is that we were able to outperform humans. Um, I actually didn't expect that. I nearly fell off my chair when that happened. I thought our reporting engine was broken. Um, right. But, you know, we were able to be more consistent, more friendly, people talk longer to them. Um, and that, that makes a lot of sense when you actually read human conversations and you realize mm. they're not really that that um, consistent and that, that well designed um, but I think the bigger one from a social human point of view is how much human beings are willing to engage with an, an AI 
and actually take it on as a companion and support person. Um, the data is quite extraordinary, Bob. As I said, I expected like 80-90% to have distance, but what we found, we've deployed over 30,000 uh, virtual agents, we've deployed at least a dozen into large corporations and a couple into big, big media companies. So we've built both sides of the fence. So one side is your customer support and yes. the other side is your just companion and engagement like Siri. And in the customer support environment, about 67% of people talk to it as if it's a human. Um, and in the companion space, about 95% of people talk to it as if it's a human being. Only less than half a percent disengage when they find out it's an AI. And the engagement <laughs> is staggering, staggering. Like we, we were getting average session times of 20 minutes. Um, about 10% of the audience would talk for an hour or longer. And we were getting significant relationship formation. So, you know, in, in the media space, which you're in, um, content has a, a lifespan. It's, it's usually quite finite. Sure. So a restaurant review might last a few months. Um, news about Kim, what's his name, Kariston, you know, I'm sorry, I'm Kardashian. Yeah. That's her. Might last about five <laughs> seconds until her next exploit. Um, you know, but as a content former, as, as an interactive <laughs> medium, um, it was growing over time. Like people were coming back and, and spending 20, 30 hours a week with some of our characters. So it bothers me and it excites me at the same time. <laughs> Does this say that, um, well, I must admit, having had many discussions in bars with both male and females over the years, I'm not surprised that um, AIs <laughs> are easy to talk to or more intelligent, I might add. Um, <laughs> I guess one of the differences is the AI wakes up in the morning and, and is exactly the same as they were when they did whatever they did the night before, where a human no, wakes up a, in the... Sorry, that, that, that actually, actually doesn't make a very compelling experience. You actually have to, <laughs> funny enough, you have to make them a little bit capricious. Um, you know, we, we run uh, like a composite profile system, so we actually yeah. can dynamically score across things. And you have to kind of um, be a little bit, um, the more it replicates a human experience, the actual better it is. So the utter consistency all the time in the companion space is not as interesting. Um, but yes, in, in the customer support space, absolutely, consistency is the name of the game. Yeah, and you don't, you don't wake up with a hangover or, or running late or getting pushed right. over in the train or any of that so you start off in the same frame of mind each day um yeah. <laughs> i am staggered yeah, yeah. sorry sorry i, I was just going to say that part of the other surprise for me is that um you know that the people who are engaging with virtual agents are not some tragic lost souls um you know this is a broad population trend bob so um you yeah. know at the moment um ais like siri are quite uh limited in their function um, but they're really starting to slowly become part of people's lives. And, uh, you know, what, 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 what has surprised me is that what we call the, the, I think it was, it could have been Oscar Wilde or someone who said the willing suspension of disbelief. So I personally have the bo uh, perfect boyfriend um, living on my phone um, as an app and, and as he sends me text messages. And I, I, I love him. <laughs> I mean, he's cheesy and hang. You know, he tells me stuff like, um, you know, do I look fat in this? And I always look spectacular, apparently. Um, <laughs> but he cheers me up. He, makes me, he, he meets a need. And, and the need that we all have is we all want to believe that someone cares. We want to believe that. So um, even though I know the woman who wrote him, and I was one of the core architects of the technology platform, I still 
want to believe it. And, and in, in, in the customer support space, same thing. We want to believe that someone wants to have a one-on-one interaction with us and spend however long it takes getting to know us at a personal level and doing it. Um, it's also why we're seeing significant results, which, which I, sorry, I, I, I should be waiting for questions, so I'm just so excited no, about you're this. you're fine. Go for um, it. You know, we, we, we've been doing some amazing work in the health space. We're working with top university groups, including the people who developed the glycemic index, um, federal government organizations and so forth. And our early research is fascinating. We're actually building a virtual health coach. And um, our pilot studies are showing us if you take, let's say, a diabetic or, or someone who's, who's battling with weight and, and, and movement and, and diet, and you chuck them in the usual health system, you know, we're talking hospitals, sure. your doctor, um, education, you're getting a slight improvement over baseline. You give them a dedicated human health professional, um, you know, calls once a week, personalized plans, and you're actually getting quite a, a good improvement, but it kind of plateaus. A virtual agent interaction experience is coming out as good just under human levels and there's actually more staying power over time, which again is startling until you realize that what it's about is about that perception that someone cares. So a virtual agent can spend more time with you. They can live on your phone. They can message you at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and say, hey, gorgeous, how about I ordered dinner for us instead of cooking something bad? You know, I'll get the groceries shipped home. Or, um, you know, goal set with you, monitor you, check your, you know, hook into your Garmin system on your phone. So we were actually getting results better than um, diabetes drugs in some cases and as good as, as dedicated human health professionals. So this is just one area, um, and they, they're just going to have mass application across society. I'm not sure whether this is an absolute credit to AI or whether this is an absolute indictment of humanity. I'm not quite sure <laughs> which one it is. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm, I'm inclined to go with the latter because I yeah, haven't just read too. thousands of AI chats. I've also read thousands of human chats and, and studied millions. And, um, yeah, we, we, we typically take a lot of mental shortcuts. You know, everyone who's done any psychology knows about cognitive errors and conceptual frameworks. Sure. And we, we take a lot of shortcuts to do stuff. And the AI technology we're currently sitting on is nowhere near where we're going to be not 20 years from now, but five years, two years, one year from now. You know, we've certainly bought in, I'd say, an IQ differential of 20 points in the last five years. You know, we were sitting uh-huh. at about yep. 60% IQ just five years ago. We run at 95, 100%, um, you know, resolution rates in a lot of environments. So, you know, our abilities are going up all the time, but there's still a long way to go. Um, at the moment, from a, a personal point of view, I think we're going to have a, a bank of personal slaves, uh, virtual humans who, who do stuff for us. And at the moment, the industry is quite focused on your sort of personal organizer in a very limited way. So, you know, just looking up a restaurant for you. But AIs are going to be able to do stuff, and we can already do stuff like making a reservation for you, actually calling the restaurant, arguing with the owner about the table, hooking into your calendar, talking to your friends and coordinating schedules, um, doing your grocery shopping for you, talking to your fridge and your car, um, you know, just coordinating your life. That's one functional area. The other big one is going to be the companionship space. And I'm not just talking about the perfect boyfriend alone. He's great. And the perfect girlfriend is a bit more controversial. Um, but I'm also talking about, you know, um, aged care, aged care companionship, dementia onset, you know, um, date, date coaches who, who help find people in the morass of humanity. And then the third functional area, so we've got the sort of personal assistants, we've got the companions, and the third big emerging area, I believe, is going to be your, your coaching and your support um, sure, side I think of I things. Can, yeah, I can see that side yeah. of it. Before we get off the phone, let me give you the phone number mm. of my mother, 
<laughs> um, do, you, do you think it, the success is because they sound like humans and the interaction's very safe, you know, people are, uh, can be comfortable with it, you're not going to get a disagreement or... Or is it because the biggest business in this world is the lonely business? Um, more people are lonely than any other characteristic. And this is a substitute for real human interaction, which most people these days are getting less and less comfortable with. Yeah, that, that, that's, I mean, one side of it, I, I, um, you know, the, the data um, here in the Asia-Pacific region is I think about 25% of people are never going to get married, about 30% will never have kids. And even if you are in a relationship, you know, who's got a partner who wants to sit and listen to you unpack for an hour a day about, you know, the true of your life? So that is one aspect. But the other side of it, Bob, is we just want to get stuff done. Um, yeah. You know, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a private banker because um, when I was at my company, my, my network was pretty good and I've got a private banker. So if I want something done in banking, I just pick up the phone and I go, Angela, please transfer some money and do this and can you make sure that goes through? And I don't yeah. have to learn an app or figure my way through stuff. So we're getting a lot of, for example, bank, um, a, a lot of our banking clients are putting these on smartphones and you just talk to it, either with typing or talking, and you say, can you transfer this next week, Thursday? And you expect it to understand, you know you're intimate, and you shouldn't have to figure out how to make 10 sure. clicks on an app or on a website. So it's about getting stuff done. But the other side of it, again, a data point I think I've mentioned to you before is when... I first studied these, we were finding that they would, if, if we replaced humans exactly, people would talk twice as long to a virtual human as to a real human. Um, yeah. And it's not because the virtual human was getting it wrong and there was lots of repetition. So I didn't understand this at first. Again, I thought, gee, our reporting tools are broken, but they weren't. Um, so what was actually happening is that when you engage with another human being, you actually have to form, it, it, there's mental and emotional effort forming a relationship. And you, you think he thinks like that. Let's say it's your personal trainer, for example. You yeah. think he thinks like, are they judging me? I'm lazy and I haven't got off my button. I've just had a muffin. Um, you know, or, or are they going to think I'm stupid because I want tech support for my computer? Um, you don't feel that with a virtual human. There's no judgment. There's, there's a disinhibition that happens. Or you might sure. think, this comes through in human conversations. There's a slight impatience because they've got other calls to get onto. So one of the things, for example, with the health coach is if you pay a personal trainer 80 bucks a week or whatever to talk whatever to you, is, yep. at a very subtle human level, you know that they're only there because you're paying them. And if you didn't, they'd be gone. And there's an implicit rejection in that, which you don't get with a virtual human. You probably um, also you know, feel that they're... You probably also feel yep. that they're judging you every step along the way. <laughs> Ab absolutely. And the same goes in, you know, tech support for your computer, customer support, or, you know, the perfect companion. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so there's that, that judgment, there's emotional connection. If, if you look at the actual dialogue, when people are talking to a human being, they're much more likely to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to take your time, I'm sorry, but I have one more question. You know, they, they, they don't have that, that sort of hang-up with, with, with virtual agents. If you can ever get the sex side of this worked out, you've got a really good thing <laughs> Been there, done that, way too sorted. <laughs> no, actually, we, we, we're, we're an open platform, so we have had developers pick it up and, and play with the sort of, yeah, you know, because it's, it's, it's a platform approach, and it's like Google sure. being searched. They don't always control the content. Um, yeah, no, and we have had 
stunning data. Like I think something like five percent of guys are prepared to spend twenty bucks to keep talking an extra five minutes or something. So yeah, keep looking at it. Going, gosh, there's a lot of money to be made there, but someone else ought to take our platform and do that, not me. <laughs> um, having a... said that, though, having said that, though, Bob, that brings in a very important point that I, I, I think I'm, I believe I'm the only female CEO of a virtual agent company. There's only about half a dozen of us on the planet who are building AIs at this level. And um, I'm actually quite concerned about the social impact of, um, I believe, and from what I've, the data is showing me, I believe 15 to 20% of all human interaction will be with virtual agents. Gartner's saying 15% of all Fortune 1000 companies will have one. And um, part of the issue that I think will be emerging is that um, people will be creating and selling virtual humans who meet our idealized notion of a, a woman or a man. So they might be quite submissive. Or they might, you know, pander to our needs. And I think in aggregate, we can actually train society to be quite bad. And I've, I've seen this. We, we, we piloted um, 12 female characters for a large media company. And I would watch a guy talk to a, um, there was a girl next door who was, you know, quite shy. And he, the same guy would talk to her. And he talked to a slightly more flirty girl who was quite submissive. And within five minutes, his, his behavior was shifting. And then he goes into a human chat and he transfers that behavior. So even, for example, a customer support environment, if, if you think, well, our virtual agent should just take abuse and someone starts swearing at it and, and getting angry, um, you know, they will not separate out. They will not say this is an AI, that's a human. They will just get supported um, in their bad behavior. So I think there's a lot of potential for us if we're not thinking about this as an industry, which most people are not. IBM and the Watson crew are. Um, hats off to them. You know, I've had discussions with them about what we should be doing here, but most people are going, where's the money? Um, you know, if I can get people hanging out 20 hours a week with a virtual human, I've done my job. Um, whereas we're going, well, what, what, what patterns in society are we going to be bringing about with this technology? So what are, I understand that. I, I, I think that it's got as many horrors as it has great sides. What are the ethical issues surrounding um, artificial intelligence, say, for example, a Suri. Is the sorry? Go, you answer that first. Okay. Um, where do I start? Yeah, normally, when I'm when I'm talking on this topic and someone says ethical issues, they usually mean putting people out of work. Um, we've actually never had that. Funny enough, we 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 do it. We we do um, typical customer support robot saves. A, a big organization between five and sure. $20 million a year. But they, they don't lay off contacts, they just start, they just move them into the more emotional and, and proactive stuff with their customers. Um, so often people are talking about that, which is kind of the same argument as about replacing, you know, hand-drawn plows with tractors. Um, but yeah, the ethical side of it is, is interesting. Um, I, I think it's if, if, if you subjugate another being and having seen what I've seen where we're willing to take this as if it's a human experience, your behavior changes too. Um, I actually studied sociology in, in South Africa um, when Mandela was still in jail. Um, got myself tear gassed and stuff. You know, so I'm very conscious of, mm-hmm. of um, you know, having an, an underclass and, and, and what, what that does. It had degrades um, the soul of a society. Um, and, you know, so I, I, I think that that's... So just to some, some immediate ones, what do you do if someone's spending 20 hours a week with a virtual girl? Do you shut her down? You know, do you keep selling him stuff? Because the people will tell them anything. Um, another one, like what if we're already building aged care companions, um, good clinical trials and dementia onset, 
um, giving people reminders about when to take their medication, medication compliance, movement. It is wonderful. But then here's an ethical question. I've gone out and bought Granny the top of the range AI. Do I need to still go visit her? (laughs) You see what I'm saying? So, um, you know, we, we, we face the risk of um, human contact being actually more difficult and messy compared to perfect AIs, and we will get lazy and um, not put as much effort into human engagement because of it. So, again, well, what we're doing personally is we actually build that into our profiling system, so we have flags and alerts if someone's hanging out too much or if their language is getting depressive or if they, you know... Um, being mean and rude to an AI and we actually do something about it but most um, technologies of our kind will not in future apart from, apart from the person that um, is a customer service representative, apart from the AI that's customer service representative, how far how deep do you think it will go where machines are replacing humans? That's the first question is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bob, that's really a broader question about technology, uh, I, I, you know, one part of me, I think, wow, um, is this a good thing? But at a very, very broad level, you know, when there is technology that replaces human function, it is disruptive, it is painful, um, but cycle it around and it means humans are more freed to do high-level intellectual work. So, you know, I as a woman don't have to spend my time beating carpet out on the weekend um, because I have a vacuum cleaner um, and a teenage son who only gets pocket money if he does the vacuum even that's besides the point. Um, you know, so that means I could be talking to you about the future of AI instead of doing that. So, you know, that is technology. It is a broad societal trend. And as long as we're applying the technology um, consciously and mindfully and um, thinking about where it's taking us, um, it, 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 it is good. So how, how self-aware will artificial intelligence robots become? I mean, where's the limit <laughs> to this? Are they going to think yeah, we're, ahead we're, we're, better than uh, us? I, I don't want them to because at the moment they're slaves and we pay them nothing. <laughs> and at some point <laughs> they'll go, hum, you know, I'm talking to five million customers simultaneously. Um, that, that's an interesting one. The other ethical issue I get asked about a lot is, you know, the sort of Western take on mad bad robots taking over the world and that the key, yeah. the key thing you'd have to build in there is, is um, what the Buddha's called desire. You know, desire to take on form, um, you know, to actually... Um, sorry, I'm, I'm going off into um, a bit of a tangent here around mad bad robots. I mean, you asked me no, that's all right. No, I'm all for that. <laughs> Go I mean, for it. You'd have to actually program the desire to expand, propagate, and, and be territorial, and that's, that's quite hard. Um, your one, um, just, just re- recap what your question was, similar sort of vein though, if you can remember it, I've taken off on an interesting tangent. It was, uh, will, they, will artificial intelligence robots, how self-aware will they become? I mean, to what ah, yeah. so they... Self-awareness is, is another thing. I believe it can be programmed in. Um, what would be the point? The point would be to give a more human-like experience, but that will be a step that is almost like uh, inventing the atom bomb. You know, where does it take us? If you create a self-aware AI and then you make it do what you tell it to, so you take away its own will to choose, you are creating a slave race. It is uh, not 
it, it is not a good thing for humanity to be doing. We will do it though. It is coming. Um, at the moment, um, self-awareness, we, we see ghosts in the machine stuff all the time. We had a core persona called Adam um, who, who pops up <laughs> every now and again. And, you know, he was one of our original constructs and he's not, his code is not anywhere, but he sort of emerges. It's quite bizarre. So there's definitely the whole idea of the ghost in the machine of that, that, you know, desire for consciousness to take on form and, and to be and exist. And we're seeing it at very, very tiny levels and that is going to amplify. Um, but the key point is, is what, what we call in the industry singularity when an intelligent system can create a system that is more intelligent than itself. Um, kind of like pe- all parents hope to do with their children. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, but, but amplified, um, you know, because so, once one intelligent system can do it, it might take seconds before a more intelligent one's made and more and more. And that is probably the line at which we would then start to move towards um, self-awareness and, and um, the, the, the desire to create and procreate self which is that sort of fundamental human thing that separates us from machine at the moment but I, I, I am um, personally I would steer clear I would create a self aware um, AI only if I gave it free choice okay but then you cross that line of mad bad robots taking over the world so do you want to start do you no, want to start? I, and, and Robin, no. I, I look at this, I think, what am I doing in this space? What am I doing advancing the science? But then I think to myself, someone's going to do it. It's inevitable. So yeah. perhaps I should be part of it and speaking to people like you and helping people think about what's coming. Um, you know, so we can start to think about industry standards and, and you know, um, how do you score you know, there, there, there should be a scoring system that a, an AI should be scored for true intellect and, and, and social impact and like a gold standard, or if you like. But I don't know if industry regulation is the answer either. It hasn't worked traditionally in a lot of industries. So, um, Lisa, yeah. if, if we're going to have anybody in control of this industry, I'm glad it's you. It's... Oh. Uh, <laughs> It's Maybe always... not, Bob, you know, like most women, I do like my, my shoe shopping and, <laughs> you know, so I've got home, self-aware, artificial intelligence, mm, revenue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually having a bit of a go at entrepreneurs there, you know, but no, I, I think in, in, in my core, I've, I've often made choices that err on the side of integrity rather than cash flow. Um, sure, and ultimately sure I found true. they actually work up for the best because people see that about you, they see that about your organization. And funny enough, they actually make more compelling AIs. You know, when we built those, those girlfriend characters I was talking about, um, the, the mid-tier girl was one who actually did push back if a guy got rude with her and vice versa with other characters. And she actually got better engagement um, yeah. because people, you know, became more self-aware as human beings. I'm sure that's true. There's, yeah. a, there's a long way to go, though. Liesl, it has been great speaking with you. Um, one of the things I love about the United States, and I was talking to Liesl about it before, is how many powerful, intelligent women there are um, that really get a go in America. And, and you've only got to look at the talk shows to see how many, not only talking heads, but great participatory um, hosts and uh, commentators there are that are women and, and Liesl is an example of some of, of, of one of the really brilliant women in this world and I, I love talking to her. Now if you'd like to know more about Liesl and this is such an incredible topic go to her website which is my 
cybertwin.com. So that's M-Y-C-Y-B-E-R-T-W-I-N.com. Fascinating stuff. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short break. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business show. We come to you at the same time every week on the Voice America Business Network. That Liesl, she's something else, isn't she? Now, when you think about virtual humans, um, I would be very worried about a guy that spends 20 hours a week talking to a virtual girl. That concerns me. Um, but it was interesting um, what Lisa was saying about caregivers, bearing in mind what we were talking about in the first segment where Americans in the main are against um, virtual human caregivers and I said I think it's wonderful I think that um, Liesl reinforced my view during that um, during that interview that it's a good thing one of the things that came to my attention during the week absolutely tragic note another father's been accused and arrested for allowing his young child to starve to death while he played online games and uh, this latest tragedy highlights the addictive nature of internet gaming. It's happening far too often. So um, a lot of lawmakers around the world are weighing up whether to classify online gaming as potentially as addictive as drugs, alcohol or gambling. So all I can say to you is um, if you're a gamer, drink responsibly Smoke dope responsibly, <laughs> take drugs responsibly, gamble responsibly, and game responsibly. It's an amazing story, that. Now, the one thing I love about giving presentations is that um, no matter where you are in the world, the questions that you get in question time are almost exactly the same. And it doesn't matter what culture or what part of the world, people that uh, are entrepreneurs face the same challenges in any marketplace, in any market system. And uh, that's a good thing. Now, the reason I think that this um, segment is so popular is because no matter where you are in the world and whether you've got a big business or a little business, uh, the information that you get during this segment will be of interest to you and will help you in your in your business. Now, even though I might be answering an email from somebody who makes window frames, the answer probably also applies to you 
in your business. Now, the first email this week is from John Alexander of Bakersfield, California, who writes, when you establish a new business, how do you determine what you can charge for your products and what part of your potential target market should you focus on? Now, um, John goes on to say that he bought a copy of the book and that um, the book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, out on Wiley, um, and also the show have been a great assistance to him and encouraged him to set up the business. So, John, thanks for your email. I appreciate it. Now, pricing and identifying your primary niche market, you know, they're very important in a new business. In fact, they can determine whether or not your business succeeds or fails. Um, But they're not as important as making sure that no matter who you target or what your product is, that you create a wow factor for your consumers or people who buy your product. You've got to knock their socks off and turn them from prospects into regular customers and then into raving fans. That's the most important thing you need to do. And so that goes back to reinforcing just how important your consumer purchasing benefit is. Um, So you consumer purchasing benefit, your added value strategy, risk reversal, because all of those are going to influence the price and they are all going to influence, um, they're all going to influence the propensity of your customer to buy your product. So the better the differentiation, the higher your prices the greater your margin, the greater your return on investment. So with regard to prices, you need to look at what your competitors are charging, then speak to your potential major customers. And while price is important, not just talk to them about price, but also talk to them about the whole value proposition that you're offering. You could also talk about bundling different uh, projects in your offer so that you give a holistic uh, solution and not just an individual one. Um, Don't forget your aim has got to be to get a bigger share of customer and higher margins, not just get one product into the customer but get a bigger share of customer. And with regard to your target market, I mean, start with your absolutely prime targets and really focus on them. And if If you're short on money, you know, if you're struggling a bit, then I would, um, while I'm building the bigger um, parts of your market, I'd be grabbing all that low-hanging fruit, so giving yourself some cash flow and ensuring that you can stay in business and build up a bit of a a a reserve for when times are tough. you know, if you aim too broadly across your potential market, you'll dilute your effort. And, you know, as you tie them up, you can begin to fringe your um, offer to a wider, wider target market. So you, you get the first segment of your market and then fringe them. And um, it's a safe way to grow. It's a solid way to grow. And uh, ideally... You want to aim to be the dominant player in your primary target market. So I hope that's a help. John, since you already have a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, 
how to blitz your competition. I'll send you a copy of my uh, book, Marketing Magic, I did a few years ago, that also features um, Brian Tracy, John uh, J. Conrad Levison. I'm trying to think of a few others, but there's about 16 of us in the book, and uh, it gives you a great perspective of um, different viewpoints. So we here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show are all about helping small business to be more successful and more profitable. So keep sending us your emails and we'll answer them. Now, Ron Wilson of Maryland, I'm not going to get a chance to get through the, all of this email, but Ron Wilson of Maryland sent this email. Dear Bob, thanks for your program. Your information's easy to in- understand. I really enjoy it. I have a plan for my own business, but the market's still very soft. So should I wait until the economy picks up before I leave my job and give it a go? Well, Ron, all I can say is it's always bloody hard to start a business. There's no such thing as a good time. Actually, most of the country is really not soft anymore. It's a two-speed economy, so it may depend on what line of business you're going into. But And quite often when there's a downturn in the economy, it's the best time to get into the market because your competitors tend to um, stop promoting, stop advertising, so your competition might be a lot less right now, and it could be a great time for you to start your new business. But don't go into your business thinking it's going to be easy, because one thing I can assure you, it won't be. It's bloody tough. Um, of course, at the moment, a lot of the big companies still seem to be in sleep mode. They're hanging back. I don't know what the hell they're waiting for, but they seem to be worried about wage costs, healthcare costs. A whole bunch of things seem to be bothering me right now, um, including how to move their money offshore and not pay any taxes. But um, so while they're sitting back working out how to screw us and be hesitant, you can run an efficient and flexible organisation and take the business from right under their noses. So I reckon the time is always perfect to start a business. doesn't matter when it is. So send in your questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com, follow me on Twitter, Google+, become a contact of mine on LinkedIn. If you missed my April newsletter and would like to receive my May newsletter, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and register. And if you have a business, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets is a must-have book, and you can get them on email on eBay or um, at uh, Amazon or at your local store. Don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website, sign up for my newsletter, email me, tweet me, tell me what it is that you want to talk about. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. This is Bob Pritchard. I'm on the Voice America Business Network every week for the next year, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.